But when people hear that and you're like, wait, you're going to invest in real estate and create passive income, you're telling them they're wrong, right? So they don't want to agree with you. So them telling you, ooh, that's risky. Or, ooh, my investment advisor says I shouldn't invest in real estate. Or, ooh, one of my friends said that. Do you hate money? Why would you walk away from your career? That's their ego telling you that they're hearing you and you're telling them that their thought process is wrong. Welcome to the Income Flip Podcast, podcast about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez, and on today's episode, I have Chris Larson. Now, Chris runs Next Level Income, and I just love that name. It just rolls off the tongue, and it just creates a whole awesome visual representation of what he's looking to do, create Next Level Income. Now, Chris started this because in 2016, he got crushed by taxes. He was a high-income W-2 earner, sold a couple of investments because he was investing on the side, and realized on that day that he needed to do this a better way. He needed to reorganize the way he made money, the way he saved money, and the way he grew his money. And out of that, out of that pain, as in so many entrepreneurs, like when they hit pain, they, 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 they ask themselves better questions. Chris did the same thing, and Next Level Income was born. Today, that business invests in storage units, apartment buildings, car washes. Well, listen in. I think you're going to find his story fascinating. I know I did. And uh, and without further ado, Chris Larson. Grid, today it's my honor to present Chris Larson from Next Level Income. He lives in Asheville, North Carolina. Chris, thanks so much for having me. Uh, having Actually, thanks so much for joining us, right? On yeah. the Investor Podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, man. We were getting to know each other a little bit before uh, yeah. before we jumped on here. And, um, you know, we we talked a little bit about you being a hokey, right? Yep. And you being in medical sales. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about real estate today. But I want to learn a little bit about you, yeah. right? The person, Chris Larson. Absolutely. How did, you, how did you get into this business in the first place? Yeah, that's... Uh... That's a, a, a layered question. Um, and I'm going to make sure that I share, if you're listening today, how to get a copy of my book. And you can kind of read, read a couple chapters of, of, of my entire story. But I bought my first property at 21, Rob. Um, you know, you and I, you and I spoke. Yeah, I, I uh, grew up in Maryland, went to Virginia Tech. And I went there for biomechanical engineering. But I really went there to race my bike. So I wanted to get a degree. I was like, but yeah, I'm going to go race my bike. I gave myself a five-year window to do it. And what happened was in between my freshman and sophomore years, it was June 21st, 1997, my best friend, his name was also Chris. Uh, he was a year younger, so he was, he was my roommate uh, going into my sophomore year. Um, we were up in Pennsylvania at a bike race, and he had a massive brain hemorrhage and died instantly. Oh, my God. And, yeah, it was devastating. Um, so I, I didn't know it. They took him to the hospital. We drove up together. So I drove to the hospital and I, I went in to, to see him. And the doctor told me, and I actually was the one that identified him. And I came back to school. I, uh, so now I told, I didn't really want to be an engineer. So I'm, I'm, I miss my friend. I just, I poured my heart and soul into cycling and I hit kind of the highest levels of amateur cycling. And actually, my team went pro, but I actually quit. Uh, that following year before they went pro. And the reason is I, I love the sport, but I was winning races. I didn't feel anything. Mm. And I think, you know, when people think about it, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. And that's what I had towards the sport. 
So I'd gone and done this 180. Um, now the sport gave me a lot. It got me through that year, uh, without a doubt. It gave me a lot of friends, and it gave me the, you know, kind of the resiliency that I had. Um, it also gave me this love for independence, love for travel, love to, you know, to go and do things. But you got to imagine, I'm back in school. I'm a junior now. I'm in engineering. My grades aren't good because my sophomore year was kind of a disaster academically. Um, I was getting like C's and I might even gotten a D for the first time in my entire life. Um, and I even thought like maybe I, maybe I, you know, I, maybe I drop out, maybe I switch schools, just something for a new, um, you know, kind of a new, new change of scenery. Um, but I quit cycling. I sold all my bikes. I, I kind of became a normal college student. I had a girlfriend, um, go to parties, which I wasn't doing because I was like this, you know, high, you know, I was basically living like a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, something else shifted in my mind. And that was, I knew that I had to honor the life I was given and riding my bike around in a circle or riding 20, 30 hours a week in addition to all the other stuff. It just wasn't what I was really meant to do. And I also wanted to honor the life that Chris didn't have. I didn't want to have any regrets, Rob. And it dawned on me, I had to have money, I had to have financial resources to do it. And I was given this magazine by the same family friend, interestingly enough, that introduced me to cycling, Clint Provenza. Oh, owe him a debt of gratitude forever. And it talked about compound interest and Roth IRAs. And I got interested in the stock market. I started day trading. And as a junior in college, I was making about $1,000 a week day trading, hmm. and which was pretty cool, but it was also very stressful. And as I learned more about investing, I read over 250 books on the stock market, investing, real estate, business, all kinds of different things. Got an MBA in finance and portfolio management. Um, I didn't want to be an engineer. So, <laughs> And what's interesting was I did very well in the MBA program. I actually got the highest grades in some of the classes because it was so interesting to me. Mm -hmm. It was very interesting. And what I figured was, you know, being a stock market trader, that wasn't really being an investor. Right? That's like a job. So I bought my first property at 21 because... I could leverage, I could put a, a small amount of money down, I could control the cost that I purchased it at, and it provided cash flow, depreciation, all these great benefits. I rented two of the three bedrooms out, so I did a little house hack, I bought the place next door. So here I am, 22 years old, and I had six units, like a little mini six-bedroom apartment. Mm -hmm. um, and that really, that really jump-started my career, and that's when I created this vision in my mind of myself as an investor. I think that's so important, so if you're listening, you know, whatever you're doing, I think the most important thing you can do is picture yourself as an investor. You know, you might have a career and that's fine. That's a source of revenue. But if you want to be truly independent and have passive income coming in, picture yourself as an investor. Um, so from there, I built a small uh, single family portfolio. And then about 10 years ago, we transitioned into commercial real estate. And then um, over the course of about three years, people were asking like what we were doing and People wanted to get involved in the investments we were doing, and we expanded that, started to take on investors. And now we have over 3,000 apartment units. We have 10 self-storage facilities. Um, I'm sorry, 12 self-storage facilities, um, uh, 10 mobile home parks, and we have about 30 express tunnel car washes, as well as some other small projects that we do around Nashville. Okay. Awesome, man. I, I love you walking me through that, that, that just kind of like that mental framework of identity, right? Yeah. People yeah. have to form an identity of, of being an investor. It's it's a key component that I see people have to kind of emotionally go through. Yeah. But it 
but in reading your bio and in reading your bio, uh, I noticed that you were actually in, in medical equipment sales to start with. Yes. Right. So, so walk me through kind of like that evolution. Cause it sounds like you did that for a while and you had a job and, and then you were also investing part time. So help me understand yes. that. Yes. So excellent, excellent question. So as I said, I saw myself as an investor. But if you're 21, 22, 23, you're buying, you know, buying properties every year, you run out of capital. So I was like, well, I need to, I need to create more capital. And as I was learning and buying these properties, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And one thing Robert Kiyosaki said is you need to be accredited. So I said, well, shoot, I want to be accredited. So I thought, okay, I need more capital. I want to be accredited. Let me find a career where I can make $200,000 or more a year. So I set off on this, you know, journey, landed in medical device sales. So learned about the space and um, gentleman I was working for at State Farm. I was in a State Farm agency. I was doing that while I was doing my MBA. He said, Chris, you got to meet my friend. He sells medical implants. I'm like, really? Like, I know that's a thing. So he introduces me to this guy and lo and behold, the same medical, the same like hip and knee implants that we did finite element, finite element analysis on in my undergrad, he sells these in the OR. With surgeons. And I was like, that's so cool. I was like, you get to go into surgery? Because part of me wanted to be a doctor as well at one point. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my, my advisor pulled me aside. He goes, Chris, I got news. You're not smart enough to be a doctor or an engineer. So you got to figure out something else. <laughs> going to sales. <laughs> so, no, he didn't. He didn't say that, but he probably was thinking it. Because, you know, yeah. these, these engineering professors, they're like, they're so smart. They're like, they're, they don't, it, they, they have a hard time seeing anybody that, that doesn't have, you know, an IQ of 160, right? Yeah. So, um, so I have, I've always had this complex, you know, being around people like that and neurosurgeons in the OR. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm probably pretty smart, but I don't think I am because I'm around all these brilliant people. So, um, anyway, but I met, I met this gentleman by and his name was Alan. He told me what he did. I was like, this is so cool. I was like, well, how much do you make? And they told me how much you made. I was like, I gotta do this. This is awesome. So, um, I, I, I uh, started off and took me, a, took me a few years, but I landed my dream job doing that, that exact same thing. Um, fell in love with the industry and kind of put my head down. We moved to Asheville, um, uh, partly because of the uh, the opportunity with the company I was with, but also because it was on a list of cities that had all the characteristics that I wanted for me and my my soon soon to be a growing family. Um, and I kind of got distracted by the business, got distracted by the family, and um, my mother passed away in uh, late 2011. And my wife and I kind of did an inventory of everything and. You know, one of the things we, we she started her own business because what we realized was, and and this is unfortunate, she's working, she's an architect, she went to school longer than I did, and it cost us eleven thousand dollars for her to work that year after paying taxes and daycare. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we got it. So we did this whole retooling. She started her business. We started building spec homes, and I also looked at my investment portfolio. And here I have this nice little portfolio of single family rentals at this point. And I was just paying off the mortgages because Rob, if I paid the mortgages off, I'd have 10 grand a month coming in. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this is great. We'll be done in about five more years. But what I did was, because I got an MBA, it shouldn't have taken me this long. I said, wait a minute, we're getting like a 7% ROI return on our investment, cash on cash. Or no, 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 return on investment, not even cash on cash. And I had to pay tax on that. So I was getting like a 4% return. I said, this is silly. And I was explaining this to somebody at a meeting I was with with my wife when we were working on, on putting her business together. And he said, you should look into multifamily real estate. That was 2012. So 
that was that was a real turning point for me. So yes, I I did spend 18 years in the medical device field, um, but again, I always started. I, I was an investor first, mm-hmm. and that's what always kind of drove um, that. And what's nice is when you have that motivation to to save, and you have a plan and a strategy that's working. It's it's more motivating. So you know, you're like, oh, if I make this money, I can invest in this, and that's going to create this income, which means. You know, it's one year less or two years less that I have to work um, or have have the ability to be free. And that's kind of what was always going on in my head. And fortunately, my wife was on board with that as well. When did you officially cut the cord full time, right? Yeah. Go full time. Yep. So we were, quote unquote, financially independent. And I'm trying that wasn't your question, but um, I'm just trying to think back here. I would have been. uh a little bit after 35 you know so that's mm-hmm. like that's like hey we have a nice house two nice cars family of four um so it was like they say like 37 so i was like hey i talked to my wife i'm like we could i could stop working now and she's like uh-uh it's like <laughs> what she goes she goes you're gonna go crazy and you're gonna drive me crazy she's like you gotta do something and i was like yeah like what so she kind of forced me to think bigger which was which was cool um so we we had bought a property and we're sitting in the house now that my wife designed, um, which is a gorgeous home, but it 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 cost a lot of money to build. So mm-hmm. that I said, okay, well, I got to work a couple more years if I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to move into a leadership role, Rob. So I said, okay, let me let me kind of scratch that itch from a professional perspective. So I left my role as an individual producer in sales, moved into a leadership role, which was some of the most rewarding years of my my career, if not the most. Award. I'm still friends with a lot of that, the team members that I that I hired and got to work with. Um, and then COVID hit, gave me a little bit of breathing room, and the business grew um, pretty substantially uh, in 2018, 2019, and 2020. And I, I just couldn't do both anymore. So uh, as we as the calendar rolled over into 2021, I was actually out in Utah. I was uh, skiing with um, my my now 13 year old son. And he goes, man, dad, he's like, this is so much fun. Like, I want to do more of this with you. And I remember being on the plane with him and I was working on my, uh, my, my annual plan that I was going to go over with my, my VP that coming week. So this is Sunday. And I think I had my meeting with my VP on Tuesday and I looked at him and I looked at my plan and I just crossed myself out of the plan. I put a plan together. that didn't involve me. And it was, it was tough because now here's the thing. That's when I cut the cord, um, but it took me several months because I don't think it's. Let me let me stop for a second. It things like this should be normal to talk about, but I think we're reluctant to talk about them in this day and age in this country. But as a male in the United States, I think we really define ourselves by our careers. Mm-hmm. So I pictured myself as as a medical device rep, as a, as a leader, as you know, so I could, I was proud when I told people what I did, how much money I made. The people that I worked with knew what I made. They knew I was successful. And I took a lot of pride in that. And my ego was filled with that. And then, you know, it's also, I'm a producer. So it's like, well, you know, what are people going to think if I'm not working? What, what are like, what if I don't make any money next year? What if nobody calls me for help tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And I had to get comfortable with that. So it took me, it took me probably six months to do that and actually work with my business coach and we kind of talked through it. Um, and I, I came to a place where I said, you know what? Um, 
I'm comfortable with it. But it was my son when he said that. I, I realized then and there that it wasn't me that was most important. It was him and my time with him and my, mm -hmm. my younger son as well. So I talked to my, my manager, my VP on uh, Tuesday, and I explained the plan to him. He said, this is great. He goes, there's just one thing. He's like, I don't really see what part you play in this. And I said, I, I don't. So I was very fortunate. He was understanding. I helped them uh, through a transition period. Um, and what was cool, Rob, is when I left, it really, it really expanded the business because now people were curious because they said, and I didn't plan this, but they were curious because they said, well, wait a minute, Chris, how can you walk away from such a lucrative career? What mm -hmm. are you doing? Mm -hmm. And they started to call me and ask me. And um, it's really helped me to you know, shed the light on, on a, a path and a strategy for, for true financial independence for a lot of people that wouldn't have happened. So um, it's, it's interesting that you know, setting aside kind of your self-importance, how it can really help you know, towards, towards a greater good um, if you're able to do that. Yeah, I see that happen to a lot of what I call superhero type of producers, meaning they get so good at production within whether it's running a wholesale business or whether it's running a real estate team or whether it's divide, you know, medical sales. They get so good at that thing that their identity then is wrapped around that thing and it becomes really hard for them to separate themselves to be able to to grasp something different because you've become a master at this one thing and you've built an identity yes. around it. And now you've got to reach into the unknown and essentially become a student all over again, right? And, yes. and, and yes. go through that process. And you spent 18 years, 18 years in it's that business. It's a lifetime. Business. It's a career, it's a long, yeah. It's a career, yeah. right? It's a career. But but all along, if I if I understand correctly, you'd been buying some, you'd been buying real estate, right? You'd yeah. accumulated yeah. a portfolio along, along the way. Of primarily single family homes, right? And then you made the switch. Correct. Right? Yeah. You, ma yep, you in, made the yeah, switch. Yeah, 2013, about 10 years ago, we started to transition out of those. Got it. And what yeah. was the first asset? Was it a multifamily yeah. asset that you made that switch on? Yeah, it was a multifamily asset actually in Charleston, South Carolina, that we still mm -hmm. invest in today. We still have two uh, apartment buildings down there. Um, it was interesting because we had the opportunity to buy uh, a single family property that was in, I think it was in foreclosure at the time. So I was going to get a good deal on it. I thought, oh, we can use this as a vacation home. And we consciously decided not to buy that and take the money and invest in the, excuse me, in the uh, apartment complex instead as, as a LP, as a limited partner, as a passive investor. Mm. In that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So you, your first venture into, into multifamily was 2013 and you, you were a limited partner in that. Um, you were still occupying the role as a, you know, in device medical sales. So you still yep. had that job, right? And you were going into a leadership role. 2019 hits and you decide, hey, my most valuable asset is really time, right? Time with my kids, time with my life, right? Am I yeah. doing the thing I really want to do? What was the business plan? What was the vision? Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is what, this is what we help people do at Next Level Income. We help people walk through the steps, right? So we say make, keep, and grow. And I look, it's it's not it's not complicated, but it's it's a little challenging when you tell people, hey, you got to make a lot of money because you got to create capital, right? Mm -hmm. So I think step one is if you're listening and you're not, you need to become accredited, make a lot of money. Step two, keep that money, put 
put the right tax strategies in place, do that. So we worked with our accountant. And this was one thing, you know, part of this story is I sat down with my accountant in 2016 and he goes, Chris, what number are you prepared to hear today? That meant how much the check I was going to have to write to the IRS because we had a good year and we sold some investments. And I looked at him, I'm like, what do you mean? And he literally sets a glass down next to me, Rob, pours me a whiskey. And I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> this is not going to be good. So, it, you know, again, it's, it's like, you know, that's a good problem to have, right? When sure. you owe a big tax bill. But I was like, son of a gun, like we got to work. I, I said, I got to restructure my income because I had a great W-2 year, best W-2 year of mm -hmm. my career, sold a couple investments. We got crushed on taxes, had to write mm -hmm. a big check. And I was like, I was like, that just annoyed me. So mm -hmm. we, part of the thing I did was how can I avoid this in the future? And we restructured the way our income was coming in. What I realized was I need less W-2 income and more income that's generated from real estate. So, you know, that was one of the things we did was, okay, how can we start to shift some of this income, you know, towards uh, real estate or capital gains and those sorts of things. So that was kind of the first step after, after we were making a lot of money. Um, the next thing I did was I said, how can I become a real estate professional? Because we, we had created some significant, you know, I'll say passive income streams, right? Um, which is, is anything truly passive, but passive <laughs> income streams. Um, and I love your, I love the income flip podcast. Cause right. This is me trying to figure out how to flip my income mm -hmm. and, and do this. And so I, I said, okay, well, really the only way for me to do this is, is to leave my, leave my role, my active role. And I wasn't quite ready to do that, which was okay. But I said, okay, that's going to be, that's going to be the next stage. So as, as we were bringing on investors, I said, okay, I'm going to have to figure out, you know, when I'm going to, when I'm going to walk away from this. Um, but the, the safety net, if you will, we said, okay, this is where the, the kind of, we talked about the mental side of things, but when I discussed it with my accountant and he said to me, okay, we're good. What we did was we had enough passive income to cover our basic expenses. That meant our home, our cars, our groceries, our utilities, not, you know, not, not vacations or, you know, eating out or, you know, new bikes. I'm a cyclist. I'd love to buy and I buy expensive bikes because it's kind of my thing. I'm not, I don't buy expensive cars. I, and I bikes nice are bike. expensive. My wife cycles and it's expensive. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, you know, the bike I have right now costs more than my first car. That was a, a pretty nice Honda Accord. So, um, yeah, so, okay. So we figured that out. And then we had, we had uh, two years, I think we had two years set aside of expenses as well. So we had a really nice safety net. So I was like, all right, if, if everything goes wrong, you know, what can we do? Oh, and by the way, we also had money in our 401ks that we could draw on and do that. And it's weird because you also have to shift from, you're saying, well, hey, I'm saving all this money. I might not be in a spot where I'm saving as much, right? So I had to go through that period. And then I, I said, okay, that's, that's good. But then what really helped me, Rob, and this, this actually helped on both fronts because I told you how much I enjoyed helping, you know, develop people and, you know, mentoring people. So I started coaching people and that actually provided some, some active income mm -hmm. on the side as we, as we grew our, um, as, as we rolled out our syndications, but it also gave me a lot, it gave me a lot of internal reward because I could kind of keep doing what I enjoyed doing from a mentorship perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was my plan. It was enough passive income to cover our basic expenses. 
enough set aside to cover one to two years of expenses as well. My wife was still working, so she's an architect. She brings, she still brings in income um, too. But then it was like, what am I going to do with my time? What am I going to do with my days if we're not doing a bunch of deals? And the coaching helped helped to do that and really give me, you know, a mental space that helped me to see kind of the the path to continue to be relevant. Which mm-hmm. again, that might be an ego thing, but you know, that was that was important for me to be comfortable, you know, making that move. And it was still, you know, it was still anxiety producing. But what I can tell you is, if you're if you're at that point. Figure out what you have to do mentally because the future is amazing if you can get to that point and you're without restriction. You can truly, truly do what you're meant to do. As you were building your life and your portfolio to what I would call kind of like that first rung, which is let's just kind of match your passive income to your to your lifestyle. What were some of the emotional things that you had to learn? What were some of the disciplines and habits that you have to form? Mm -hmm. So who did you have to become in order to make that happen? Yeah, so excellent question. Um, Well, it's part about who you have to become, and it's also just being self-aware and knowing who you aren't. Mm. Um, So let me give you an example. I I hate budgets, okay? I think they're they're counterproductive. Um, And there's a lot of stuff in the financial space that's counterproductive. So... Um, let me, let me illustrate one of the, one of the bigger concepts that I like to talk about. We're told, take a lot of risk when you're young. I think that's ridiculous. And here's why. If I can, if I can put together a plan to become financially independent in 10 years, which I think is very reasonable for anybody that's making a decent amount of money in a very predictable fashion. So maybe it takes five to 15 years, right? But within a range, you're like, okay, about 10 years. It's really not that long. That means for anybody, even if you take till you're 25 to make decent money, you're still not even 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Very similar to my path. Made a lot of mistakes along the way, but you know, worked work just fine. If you're financially independent by the time you're 35, how much risk can you take in your career after that? How much business risk can you take? Mm-hmm. If you're disciplined with your income streams that are providing you enough passive income, you can take whatever risk you want at that point. That's exciting. That's empowering. And if you get rid of the idea that you have to retire by 60 or 65, and you're going to create value until you're older. Like, look at Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and these people. 80, 90, 90 Sam Zell, right? I'm going to live well past 100, assuming I don't, you know, there's not, you know, um, like a big accident or something like that, in my opinion. I'm doing everything I can to stay healthy. If you can live to 100, 120, why would you want to quit at 65? Yeah, right? for sure. Mm-hmm. So first, get rid of that. I had, to be, I, had to, I had to become, in my mind, I had to get rid of that small thinking, which was, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to quote unquote retire by the time I'm 40. That's ridiculous. So you gotta, you gotta get rid of that. I remember, I remember when I was 25 Yeah. and I've got young, younger members on my team now. And I remember saying to myself, Oh, like by the time I'm 35, this was during the dot-com boom. I was like, I remember being like by 30, I'm done. Right. And it was like, I look back and I'm like, what does done mean? Like, what does that even mean? Right. It's like, no, no, no. You, I, I didn't understand what that actually meant at the time. Yeah, you know. And it's and if you think about it, I love that you. I love that you. Thanks for sharing that because I thought the same thing. But if you think about it, it's it's quite selfish, right? If you have the the talents and the discipline that you did, Rob, and you can put it into place, and you can do that, you have so much more. One to go as an individual, so much, so much more to go, but also so much more to give. Mm-hmm. Right. So I had to think, okay, I had to think bigger. Okay. What is my purpose going to be? Cause I had this little purpose of being, 
a high income you know, device rep that was going to be financially independent by the time I was 40. Well, that's pretty small and selfish. So I was like, okay, I need a bigger purpose. That was, that was the first thing. Define a bigger purpose and get rid of those ideas that society puts on us. You know, take risk early, you know, do, you know, retire at 65. That's all BS. Mm-hmm. Forget that, you know, and then, then it was, then it's self-awareness. So it's like, okay, my wife says, you don't have any self-discipline. And <laughs> yeah, what do you mean? Cyclist. She says this and, and her, like her example is we're at the grocery store and I'm like, don't buy that ice cream. Because if you bring it in the house, I'm going to eat it. She's like, you don't have any self-discipline. I was like, I have the self-discipline to know that I can't buy it because if I bring it in the house, I'm going to eat it. I mean, you finish a three-hour bike ride and there's ice cream or any, if there's any sort of like, you know, cookies or, you know, or anything in the house, I'm, I have like this, like, you know, you know, sixth sense. I can like, I'm like, what is it? I was like, I was like. I'm, I'm like going through her drawers in her office. I'm, she's like, how did you find this in here? I was like, I don't know. It just made sense. Like it's like, these things appear to me. So I'm like, I can't have anything, you know, in the house when it comes to that. So you have to be self-aware. So if you say, hey, we're going to have a budget, right? And we're going to save whatever's left after that budget. That's, that's really challenging. But if you say, hey, we're going to have a savings budget. And what I like to do is do a savings tax. So what we did was we... I set up life insurance policies and we actually, this has developed into a whole strategy that we have on our website. It's under the banking link. We call it the investment optimizer. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I set up these insurance policies that every month it would just pull money out of my bank account and it would put money into these policies and that cash value would grow. And then as a hot, as, as a device rep, you know, you make money, you make more some months than less, some months like full commission mm-hmm. quarters. Yeah. I could put money in, I could pull money out. You can use it for college. You can use it to buy cars. We used it to build spec homes. Now we use it for investments. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that to really help. Cause then I was like, Hey, anything that's left in my account at the end of the month, I can spend. And a real simple strategy. If you're like, okay, I'm not ready to, to do that strategy, Chris. Save 50% after tax. So if you make $200,000 and your tax rate's 25%, that's 200 minus 50,000. That's 150,000 that you're left with. Work on saving $75,000. Now, if your eyes get big and you're like, I can't do that. I can't live on that. I need 100 grand. Okay, make more money. Step one in the next level strategy. Next level income strategy, make more money. Get to $300,000, Okay get to 300. Now you can live on a hundred. All right. Mm-hmm. So that's, mm-hmm. that's the first step. So again, um, I put the strategy in place, set the endpoints, set a bigger, set a, had, had a bigger mindset. And then with the self-awareness said, okay, what, what are going to be stumbling blocks? Let's put in real basic things and systems that I don't have to worry about, you know, my, my self-discipline as my wife says, um, and do that. It's just different types of discipline applied different ways. And you may yeah. be listening and be different. Yeah, you know that it's uh, you know as you're speaking, obviously, what comes to mind is a profit first kind of model. Yeah, right. It's exactly you, the same. I yeah. read that. I'm like, that's exactly what we've been doing for 15 years. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Know thyself, right? And know thyself. Yeah. I, I knew. Book. I knew. I knew if the if the money was in my account, somehow I'd find a way to spend it. And that's so right. I need. I needed to siphon money into areas that I just yeah. didn't either have access to, could see, yeah. you know, and yeah. and automatic. You know, uh, what was it? David Bosch? I think the automatic millionaire, kind of like the yeah. whole idea of just another, yeah, another yeah. Great book. Yeah, but but here's the thing: if you think about it, it's kind of depressing when you think like, oh, I have this money and now I'm gonna like take it 
take it away from myself, right? Like, you know, you're, you're take, that's the last thing you do with the money that's in your account. And you're like, I'm going to take it. And what happened was I had this memory in my head. I used to save money when I was a kid. I'm good at saving money, but I didn't like it because I'd save all my money. I put on top of my dresser in a little neat stack. You know what my mom would do every now and then? She'd take that sack and she'd put it in the bank. My money would just disappear. I wasn't rewarded for saving money. And so deep down, I don't like that. But what I do like to do is when I see $10,000 in my bank account at the end of the month, and I've already hit all my savings goals and all this stuff, and I want a new bike, I can spend $10,000 guilt-free on my bike, or I can go to an F1 race, or mm-hmm. I can you know, buy my wife you know, a new car or something like that. Like it's, it's really fun, and I have all these examples, and they make me happy. You know, I can take a vacation. I flew the family up to, to Canada um, on kind of on a whim on a ski trip in between Christmas and New Year's this year. And it cost a lot of money, um, but it was it was a lot of fun. And I we hit all our goals. So it's like, hey, I'm going to reward I'm going to reward us with that. So, yeah, that's something that that I think is uh, is kind of cool that you can kind of flip on its head. So you, you're going through this journey. You you know yourself, you know how to um, both. Profit first your life, we'll call it that, and reward yourself in the process, right? Yeah. And you 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 decide to venture off 100% on your own, right? Me- meaning you you left the 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 tech medical tech uh, space, which was a big like you earned a lot of money in that space, right? Like that was a big deal. Yeah. So how did you replace your active income? Because you probably, uh, and maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't replace your active income, right? But how did you think about replacing your active mm-hmm. income? And then, or did you just start concentrating more on creating more passive income? Because you had already kind of met your basic needs. And, and, yeah, you, and, you, and you, yeah. you, alluded, you alluded to it a little bit. You said, hey, I, I, I was coaching, right? But I know that you were syndicating deals uh, as Correct. well. Correct. So curious. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, I should kind of complete that because that, that might not make sense to people. So when, when I syndicate a deal, basically any money that comes off that deal gets reinvested. In that project Mm. um so it's you know i've always i've i've always tried to any money that goes into an investment if that investment pays off it it goes right into the next investment so i want to want to protect that capital that's one of our tenants of investments one of my personal tenants so if you invest with us i'm going to tell you hey we're going to focus on investments and number one our goal is to preserve your capital so you know if something happens you may not be producing income but we're going to preserve that capital preserve capital create income create appreciation create tax benefit or mm-hmm. it, wrap it all in tax benefits so now again we got to the point where our passive income was covering all of our expenses we moved into a new home so you know it was it was a substantial amount of passive income and we did a blended strategy rob we had our passive investments we have some active stuff. We have an office downtown in Asheville here. We have two Airbnbs. So, you know, we, we did some different things that helped us get, get to that level um, that we had. And also, you know, gave me a lot of active roles um, as, a, uh, as a real estate professional. So it was, e- now again, this is the ego thing because you're like, well, I'm going to actually decrease the amount of money that I'm making, like on the surface. And that's, that's you know, someone's like, hey, how much money do you make? And you're you make a million dollars and now you make $200,000. I'm just throwing numbers out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's for somebody that's pretty much always made more money throughout their life. That's a hard thing to think about doing. But I had to shift. I had to be comfortable with that. I said, well, I may make less income, 
and that's okay because we, we have enough. And it was really, really hard for me to kind of, kind of get my brain around that. Um, but again, that allowed, it freed me to focus on the things that actually created more income. And really when you look at it, you know, if you say, well, even if I made less active income that first year, even if I was doing some coaching and some stuff, cause that definitely didn't, it definitely didn't make what I was making, mm-hmm. um, in the med device space. Cause I made hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, millions over my career. Um, I certainly didn't do that as a coach my first year and I didn't have to, mm-hmm. but when I did syndications, if you take the equity that I earned and even the fees in the front end, mm-hmm. that I could roll back into that. I made significantly more, significantly more. And the best part was it was tax free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. And my accountant was like, dude, this is awesome. <laughs> this is like five years after he poured me that, that, mm-hmm. that bourbon. Right. And I'm like, yeah, remember when we sat there and he's like, you need more real estate income. I'm like, I did it. Right. You know, like this is what we, this is what we That's awesome. out. Yeah. So again, you have to, it's, it's how you measure it and how you do it. And again, it's, it's being comfortable with the space that you're going into. You know what it makes me think of in our world, in the world of, uh, like we, we, we run a company that has, uh, multiple divisions and, and we run five real estate teams. So active income brokerage focused on investors. And what I what I've seen over the last eighteen years of of running teams like that is that agents can get stuck in the transaction because they're really good at selling, and they really and they make a lot of money selling, and then having the emotional strength to say, you know what, I'm not going to make as much money, and I'm going to back my income down for a period of time, so that I can take two or three steps forward in the business by taking the money, growing. And investing it in the business or investing it in yourself or moving into a management role like you did, right? You you're now on a different path. It, it's a it's a um, it's a equity path. It's a you know you're developing yes. an actual value path, right? Yes. And you trade. It's a trade, but it does become really emotionally difficult for people to do it because they're like, listen, I make three, four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm not prepared to go backwards, you know, on my yeah. active income. Right. Um, but it almost feels like a requirement in order to build something. Yeah. So uh, again, your your the, the podcast name is is accurate, and it's it's the crux, right? You're like you have to prepare for that, and I think a lot of people, and, and this is it's so overwhelming. What happens is in, in America, right? We're like, oh, we put money in our four hundred one k, we give it to an investment advisor, he's going to take care of it, he's going to do it. I'm going to make less money in the future when I retire. It's it's like culturally woven. Into into our psyche, and it's like, wait a minute. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be worth more. I'm going to have a bigger purpose. I'm going to. I'm never going to stop producing and creating value and doing these things. Um, and you have to totally flip that and 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 remove yourself from you know what society does. And what happens is people don't like that because mm-hmm. they it, their ego bumps up against that. And what happens is they're they're listening to you and thinking, wait a minute, you're telling me I'm wrong. So when you tell somebody, hey, I'm going to go start my own business or I'm not going to invest in the four, my 401k in the stock market because that's, that's actually a bad bargain because I'm going to assume I'm going to make less and pay less taxes in the future. That's what a 401k is, by the way. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. trading 
your investment opportunities today by betting that your tax rate is going to be lower in the future by avoiding taxes today. I'm going to make more money. I'm prepared to pay more taxes in the future, right? But when people hear that and you're like, wait, you're going to invest in real estate and create passive income, you're telling them they're wrong, right? So they don't want to agree with you. So them telling you, ooh, that's risky, or ooh, my investment advisor says I shouldn't invest in real estate, or ooh, why do you, like, why, Chris, do you hate money? Why would you leave your, one of my friends said that, do you hate money? Why would you walk away from your career? Mm-hmm. They're tell, they're, that's their ego telling you that, that they're hearing you and you're telling them that, that their, their thought process is wrong. And it's hard to hear that because you want to be part of the crowd. Largely, we're driven by status. Yeah. And it's funny because status goes both ways. We don't want to be, we don't want to outshine our peers because that actually brings our status down because they push you outside of the group. So you have to be around the right people. You have to think about that. If you're making five or six or $700,000 and everybody around you, you're competing, right? Like you guys are putting production up on the board. It's like me at the board in third grade doing math and I was the best. I beat, I beat everybody at math. That's really, that's really cool, right? It's a real ego boost. You know, so if I'm putting your production numbers up on the board, it's just like little Chris in third grade, you know, getting, you know, getting to be the best at math. Like it's very powerful for the ego. You have to remove yourself from that, which means you have to put yourself around people that say, wait, how many K1s do you have? How much passive income do you have? What is your business doing this, you know, this year? Um, and doing that. It's a, it's a very different way to think. Yeah, I love that. And, and, I, and I appreciate you sharing that because I, it's so important for people to hear that. And I know I've, I've been caught up through the years in ego plays versus building passive income plays. And I woke up 10 years into the journey and I was like, what am I doing? Like, what game am I actually playing? Like, the, right. there's a different game that needs to be played that very few people talk about, right? Mm. And so... How did you come up, how did you develop next level income? Like let's let's get to that, right? Like yeah. what what's the mission? What's the vision? Like help yeah. me understand your your model and your business today. I wish I could say, oh, I can't I woke up one day and you know I had this vision and it just like all came to be perfect. Um, but the, the truth is just like my investment strategy, it took me like 15 years to get to my investment strategy. That's why I'm like, hey, read my book, go to our website, like don't waste 15 years of your <laughs> life doing it. Take the shortcut. Listen to what I did. Um but so when, when we started doing syndications, Rob, you know, so we're going back, oh, geez, you know, six, seven years, um, people call and, you know, talk to people to invest and people hear about it and they're like, oh, I'm interested in investing or, or interested in, in what you do. But Chris, I'm just starting out or um, they'd be like, I'd like to invest $50,000. I just don't have it. You know, what would you do? What would your next step be? And I might have a phone call. I'd have a discussion. And then, you know, I get, get an email every, you know, once a week or so. And then it was every other day. And then it was every day. And I realized like, I can't, I can't spend all my time talking to people. I just don't, I don't have enough hours in the day. So I said, okay, let me, I'll start writing like some blogs. And then, um, my, my marketing, uh, guy at the time, Caleb, he said, Chris, you should start a podcast. Like you can kind of codify this information. So he started the podcast, had the blog. He also encouraged me to write a book, which I did. Um, and that was all designed to really um, you know, take and cement this data so that or information so that I could I could share it with more people. Um, and then, you know, so if you look at Next Level Income, you know, our mission is to help people achieve financial independence through education, because education is first, 
end opportunities. So then, you know, that's our, our syndications that we do in multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks. We even do express tunnel car washes now. Um, so that's, that's our investment opportunities. But it starts with the education. And, you know, my mission, you know, while, while it's to help people achieve financial independence, Rob, as I've kind of alluded to, the problem is, and I, saw, I see this in the medical system too, I don't want to go down that path, but our financial education system it's not broken. It's non-existent in this country. Mm-hmm. And what, what that creates is it, it creates just a, you know, we've talked about some of the broken thought processes that people have, but also people, they're in debt. If you're in debt, you're a slave, you know? Think of the people that vote for a political party because they're going to they're gonna waive their student debt. You're like, that's, do you see how powerful it is when you're, when you're, when you have that? So, you know, I want people to know that there's options out there that aren't readily apparent to society. I've studied what the richest people in history have done. You know, we're not talking about millionaires like David Box, great. You know, these people are great. You know, the millionaire next door, that's great. But I wanted to know what do people that make and or that have a hundred million dollars do? What do the endowments do? They don't put their money in the stock market and bonds. They're putting 20, 30% in income producing real estate. Mm -hmm. They're putting their money in cash value life insurance. They're creating trusts where the life insurance flows through and creates generational wealth. How come we're not taught these things? Because salespeople are running the investment strategies for people. Government employees that largely don't have business experience. How many, Joe Biden, how many days has he worked in the private sector his entire (laughs) life? Mm -hmm. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying. So people like that are, are creating policies for financial education or, or the lack thereof. So I'm really driven to help people because I'm not going down a political. I'm just trying to make some you know factual statements here. Um, so you may or may not disagree with the political people I talk about. But the bottom line is, if you're financially independent, you can do and exploit the talents that you were given and help the most people that are out there. And that's why we do what we do at Next Level Income. So let's talk about the different types of investments that you have, right? Um, sure. Sounds like you have car washes, you've got multifamily, you've got storage, you've got mobile homes, um, you've got you've got a lot, right? Um, which one do you like best? What asset class have you found that you like best, right? And and why? Can can we do an easier question? Can I tell you which one of my boys I love more? <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, no. So look, I, I got to say, maybe this is like, you know, when people are like, oh, you're firstborn, right? But like my first investment was multifamily. And, and by the way, if you want a copy of the book at Next Level Income, you can click on the book link. And if you put your address in, I'll give you a copy. And I talk specifically about our value as strategy in multifamily. I love um, but, but it's really what helped us, us become financially independent. Um, but I'm driven by demographics. We've had phenomenal demographics for multifamily over the past decade. They're going to continue for another decade. We have we need four million more units in this country, okay, over the next decade. Four million units. That's a that's a nice tailwind, okay. If you can do it in an affordable way, like mobile home parks, that's a great way too. Um, I'm I will say I'm I'm fairly agnostic, Rob, when it comes to things, but I follow the demographics. We invest in value add strategies in in asset classes. Um, so if I can find an asset class that has great demographic trends. I look for a value-add play in that space. Um, with the car washes, so right now, um, the car wash 
uh, investments in the car wash portfolio is growing fastest um, because there's a lot of opportunities there where we can make sense um, from an investment perspective and also you know make it make sense for investors. We get great cash flow. We get great appreciation opportunities. Um, private equity is getting into that space. Those are more businesses than real estate, by the way. Um, but yeah, if if you got to pin me down and said if you couldn't, if you if there was one asset class you wouldn't give up, it'd be multifamily. Got it. You know, it's yeah. interesting. You said those are more businesses than 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 real estate. But you yeah. know, one of the things that I, I I always tell everybody is that owning a a little piece, like owning a a one house, is running a little business, and you've got to understand how to run that yes. little business, right? Yes. And yes. and and it's like we just run businesses, right? And that's yes. what each one of those are. Some businesses do better than others, and Love that. some are harder to run than others, right? Uh, some require more management than others. Right. I always say, how passive is your passive income? Because some yeah. are more active, right? And yeah. and so, um, yeah, I like that. I, I've seen I've, I've seen a lot of people, uh, not a lot of people, but a number of people talk about car washes and how good car washes are. So I've never I've never done one. I've never yeah. invested in one. I'll have to look into it. I'll probably come. We can and help call you with you. that. Yeah, I'll come and call <laughs> you, Chris, and be like, hey, tell me more. Right? Tell me more. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the thing is, again, if you say, hey, we, we talked about, you know, our, my investment philosophy, right? So you want capital preservation. The real estate component of a car wash is nice for that, right? Because you own the real estate. Um, you also own the equipment. So like, you know, there's there's some inherent value in that, not just the the quote unquote business value. Uh, the margins are like 50%. So you get good cash flow. So there's your income. You get really good depreciation. Now, how do you create appreciation in the space? And what? You, you do that by driving revenue because these are traded on a multiple of EBITDA. But also, the bigger your portfolio of washes, the higher your exit multiple is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can acquire, at, say, an 8x multiple of EBITDA. And mm. with the portfolio that we have now, we could sell it, say, a 12x multiple. So being able to literally drive the value of the property by increasing your portfolio, those are, again, it's the same stuff that, that attracted me to multifamily. It's just a little bit of a different... Um, execution. Interesting. Is that because you've got um, you've got uh, Wall Street coming in and buying and wrapping wrapping up all of these right uh, car washes? Right. Is that yeah? So yeah, private equity has gotten involved. So um, again, we we specialize specifically in the express tunnel space, which is a membership driven model. So if you think about it, you know, if you're buying a location that has say a thousand members, right? Your the, the private equity group wants to buy your thousand members, but if they can buy 30 locations, that's 30,000 members because they have access to that entire portfolio. Mm-hmm. So yes, they're going to pay a higher multiple for the larger number of, of memberships that you have or monthly recurring revenue. Yeah. That If you're a business owner and you're listening, you're shaking your head up and down because you know, it could be an alarm company. It could be a dental practice. Like the more, you know, the more you scale it, the more a private equity sp- group is going to want to get into that yeah. space. Interesting. Interesting. So where do you go from here? What's the next five years look like for you? Um, one of the things I've been working on with the team is is really helping us create what our vivid vision looks like for the next three years, right? Love that. Um, and, and I'm just curious, right? Like, yeah. where does Chris want to take this three years from now and how can we help you get there? Oh, thank you. Um, first off, I love that. That's the first thing I do with my coaching clients is, is have them paint a three-year vision. Like, Really vivid, like you said. It should get your get the hair to stand up on your arms, right? It's got to be emotionally powerful and emotionally charged. So I, I look through a lens of impact, Rob, and I'm trying to figure out 
okay, how do we, you know, how do we impact more people? So the big driver this year has been, it's actually, you know, it's not a financial metric. It's actually how many subscribers do we have to the podcast? Mm. So we've been, okay. we're on track to increase podcast um, subscribers by 50%. So again, that's like, how can we impact more people? Um, how can we send out more books? So please get a free copy of our book. Like that's one of the metrics um, that we measure. Um, you know, also we have, it's like, okay, how can we, how can we create, you know, an impact for investors? And that's one of the reasons, you know, we've gotten into the car wash space is also how do we, how do we create the ability for investors to get better returns? And we are typically the first investors in this space. So um, I will mention on a personal note, the next three years are going to be heavily devoted to my boys. I coach my, my son's lacrosse team. I'm sorry, uh, cycling team. I, I go to their lacrosse games. So that's really a, a big driver. Um, but we are looking at uh, the ability to, uh, how can I, I don't want to, I don't have anything um, formal that I can announce yet, but we're looking at some different investment structures that we can provide investors um, with returns that you wouldn't get as a retail investor is what I can say. Um, so coming in and give you kind of a preferred return in some spaces that um, I think are going to be uh, very interesting going forward. I think there's going to be some distressed opportunities. I also think senior housing is something that not a lot of people are talking about right now, but yeah. we're, we're, we're facing a, uh, a real, oh, yeah. you could say crisis, but also opportunity to really serve a population that is really going to be in need of, of really high quality, not only options to live, but also be cared for, um, in their later stages of life. Yeah. Senior housing, um, on the retail side, it'd be a lot of multi-generational uh, homes to be built, right? You're going to see kids and yes. uh, and adults yeah. probably kind of going back to how it was back in the day where, yes. you know, we're, we're taking care of our parents. Um, yeah. I see a lot of that. I mean, just with with the rising cost of home ownership, right? People are going to have to figure out. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's opportunity. It's a crisis and there's opportunity that's there. Right. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Again, like, you know, what I tell my boys is if you want to make money, figure out how to help people. If you want to make yeah. a lot of money, figure out how to help a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So if you see a crisis, you know, figure out how can you solve this? How can you solve this problem for these people? And yeah, that's what we're, we're trying to, we're trying to focus on right now. Well, I'm going to encourage everybody, uh, at grid to get a book, right? You just go to nextlevelincome.com. I believe they go on your website. They can, you know, yep, put in click. their information. Click. Yeah, there's a, a click on the book link there. There's probably a pop-up. So we try hard to give that book to you. Okay, that's good. Because I, I love that. I, I love the idea of, of making that a metric that you can say, hey, you know, when you put a book out into the universe, you don't know how that changes somebody's life. The story. Um, and what would be really cool is if people revisit you at some point after they've read the book, they've gone on a journey, and then they start sharing the stories with you, like on it's a blog. Awesome. Well, can okay. I tell you something? We just, I just recorded this morning. Uh, a gentleman, his name is Clint Harris. Um, podcast is, is probably going to air around the same time as this podcast. It's uh, the, the podcast on the website, nextlevelincome.com. Um, and Clint shared with me the story that two years ago, the conversation we had changed his direction, inspired him to do what he's doing now. And I never heard it before. I was hearing it in real time. It was so cool, Rob, to your Isn't point. Isn't that cool? So yeah, if you get it, I mean, and that's literally when I, when I help somebody or do a mentorship call or something like that. To your point, like the one thing I ask is, hey, just keep me in the loop. Love to know, love to know what happened. Because I had people help me on my journey, you know, self-made man, self-made person. We all have help on the, on our journey, yeah. right? 
And yeah. I think that we're, you know, if you've, if you've had help and if you've achieved something, you know, it's, you know, we're, it's our, it's our honor. It's our duty to be able to give that back. Yeah. And it's, and it's a way to create impact, right? Absolutely. It's a way to create impact. Well, Chris, Absolutely. thank you so much for sharing time with Grid. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. It's awesome. Nextlevelincome.com. Guys, go there. Download the book or buy the book, actually. You can actually do you buy it or is it is you? Oh, yeah, you can buy it. Go to Amazon.com, <laughs> pick up a copy. But uh, if, you're, if you're feeling generous. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Rob, love what you do. Thank you so much for having me. Take care.